and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Shannon. And I'm Nick. And we're your co-hosts. And this week, I'm talking about the mythical creature that Lisa Frank made modern, the unicorn. <laughs> and then I'm also covering uh, Kaliak, or Ira, the winter queen. Oh, winter queen. Uh, very appropriate as we're recording this under the Capricorn new moon, mm-hmm. which, you know, I'm definitely planning on taking a new moon like ritual bath later on tonight so we'll see talking about the winter queen feels appropriate i got got a haircut today for job hunting so i did that was my new moon manifestation in action i love it i love it nick's looking fresh to death um so i'm going to be talking about probably one of like the most scottish plants uh heather which is not just a beautiful name for our north american witches who maybe aren't familiar with the heather plant It's pretty much ubiquitous in Scotland. Um, We'll talk all about the fun, like, Scottish legends around it, but it's a good one. It's a good one. It's a good thing. (laughs) Um, No, and so, yeah, officially welcome to um, the Scotland episode. And so, kind of before I start, I thought maybe we could do show and tell at the beginning. Yes, we could do show Um, and tell. I think Nick should start. So, for everyone on the Patreon... Um, you can see behind me, I have my beautiful unicorn blanket with me on the back of my chair. And it is, it is velvet or a velvet like material. Mm. Uh, and it's lovely. And I do, uh, have a giant piece of unicorn decor in my bedroom. So I'm taking this pretty seriously. I love that. Well, on the unicorn note, um, a quick shout out to my favorite other Shannon, uh, who made me this beautiful, well, I mean, we bought it, but she made this beautiful necklace. It is a rainbow moonstone necklace. Her jewelry is gorgeous. You should definitely go support her. Haxon Wolf on Etsy and on Instagram. Also great friend of the podcast. And I think we're hoping to interview her for a Patreon episode coming up. Um, but on a more directly tied into my topic thing, Heather, you can see all these like beautiful little pink flowers in here. The feather, the flowers are so tiny. It's so it almost gorgeous. it almost looks like little dry sakuras. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, very much a similar vibe. Um, and Willow is standing guard. So. And we we love it. We love Willow. <laughs> anyway, um, but okay. So like, where to even begin with unicorns? I would say they are ubiquitous. Uh, I think if you really want to be lazy with your fantasy world building and you need people to know that they're in a magical realm, you can just throw a unicorn or two in and call it a day. Yeah. Uh, There's unicorns in Harry Potter. There's unicorns in Narnia. There's unicorns in the Bible, all great works of fantasy. Uh, And of course, there's a unicorn in the tapestry at my mom's friend Dina's house. Hey, Dina. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, love that. Truly everywhere. Uh, But where did the legend come from? And it is a surprise to no one that it very likely began in the Fertile Crescent, also known as Mesopotamia. No, I'm kidding, kidding, you guys. Uh, It was actually the Indus Valley civilization. So one of the other like two river valley civilizations from the dawn of human history. You could get them confused uh, if you were really going stretching a bit. Um, (laughs) We won't judge you. We won't judge you. Um, So the earliest unicorn, historically speaking, is depicted on clay seals from this area that are over 4,000 years old. So that's 
really just immensely old. Uh, but That's this is, real old. This is not your like white horse with a narwhal horn unicorn at this time. No, no, no. Instead, this unicorn, the Indus Valley clay seal unicorn, uh, is a lot like a cow with a single horn. And it's used as the insignia for either like a trading guild or perhaps like a clan of semi-nomadic Indus Valley people. Uh, the point being that these unicorn seals are pretty spread out geographically, and there's a good number of them. Uh, and some academic unicorn naysayers, uh, I, this is, uh, that is uh, an intentional pun, uh, so feel free to laugh there, um, <laughs> insist that it's just a bull in profile. And to them, I say, I say nay to you because they actually do have Indus Valley civilization play insignias of bulls in profile. Uh, and it clearly shows two horns. So two horns on those. Uh, so clearly a cow unicorn. Um, yeah, I just honestly, why can't you let people have fun? They really can't. They really can't. Like, Jesus, let it be uh, a unicorn. But I do think a very compelling argument can be made that the Indus Valley unicorn may have been a very poor depiction of a very real animal, a rhinoceros. <laughs> uh, and sort of as proof that this could be true, I, I want you guys to think of any sort of like medieval drawings that you've seen of like hippos and crocodiles that are just drawn from descriptions. Uh, and and how they look nothing like uh, what a what a crocodile or a hippo looks like. Yeah, it's like playing the telephone game, but then drawing it out. <laughs> I, I mean, which actually you know brings me to a very interesting fact about unicorns. Uh, they were not written about as part of folklore or mythology until sort of more modern times, uh, and instead were written about extensively in natural histories, particularly from ancient Greece. So they were writing about it as, as if it was a real animal. Um, and I mean, if you really think about like sort of this globe straddling, very long telephone game that would have had to happen between ancient Greece and uh, rhinos in India or Africa, it really is no surprise that things do get a little cockeyed. Uh, but the Greek naturalists weren't writing about white horses with narwhal horns. Uh, that version does come much, much later. Uh, so the Greek unicorn had the hooves and hide of an elephant and the head of a warthog and a huge single horn growing out of its snout. Uh, so clearly, a rhinoceros, uh, but yeah, I do think that's I do think that's where things uh, get a little cockeyed too, because they would describe animals in this way, and you would see that with animals that do actually exist, like like a giraffe. They they didn't say they didn't just describe a giraffe. They'd be like, oh, it has the fur of a leopard and the legs of a zebra, and it's like you know they use all of these very colorful descriptions that are using other animals that people would have heard of. But when you describe it in that way, it kind of sounds like a weird chimera animal. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of like the thing, I don't know, I guess thinking about the way this is probably a rhinoceros is kind of like that funny saying, it just made me think it's like, when you hear hoofbeats, some people look for zebras instead right. of looking for horses. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, 
And so, but it sounds very rhino-y. And actually another name for the unicorn was the monoceros. Ooh. So everyone feel free to draw your own conclusions. Uh, but I do feel like someone's going to bring up that antelope species that has one horn, but it's very isolated, first of all. That's why they didn't discover it until like the 80s. Yeah, I'm like, that's a that's a relatively newcomer on the field of human knowledge. Um, and I, the descriptions simply just don't add up. Um, also, those are like tiny and stripy, and no one ever talks about unicorns being tiny and stripy. No, yeah, no. But uh, what actually does also add up for them being rhinos from their original description is being fierce natural enemies of lions, which is actually why, kind of come in full circle, uh, the unicorn was specifically chosen to be the heraldry symbol of Scotland. It was sort of a not-so-subtle fuck you to the English who had lions as their heraldic symbol at the time. So, of course, they're like, uh, yeah, we need, a, we need something to put on our flag. Who hates lions more than unicorns? Who hates the English oh, right? more than Scottish people? Uh, it's, it's really the perfect symbol. Um, and, of course, this was done in, like, the 1500s, so by this time... It is a white horse with a swirly horn. Uh, and actually, one of the oldest depictions of what I think of as a unicorn, although this one does have wings, can be found in Iran, current-day Iran, uh, on a mosaic from the Persian Empire, uh, depicting a winged white horse with a golden horn. And Persia was, of course, on the Silk Road, and this could just be sort of a cultural mishmash, but she's there, and she's old maybe the oldest, as far as like a white horse with a swirly horn, uh, but certainly outdating anything like that from Europe. So, and I, I'm actually having like such flashbacks to our dragon episode too, because apart from that, it is hard to find the exact spot where the leap was made from basically a rhinoceros to Dina's unicorn tapestry. Yeah, I think that's, it's such an interesting problem with like these mythical creatures. Um, yeah, it's like one of the things that kind of comes to mind though on the rhino thing is a lot of times in like medieval like medicine and stuff, you'd see like unicorn horn uh -huh. being used as like a like a medicine essentially. And I know that I believe there are some like medicinal properties to rhinoceros horn. Oh if yeah, I'm and not like mistaken. and like traditional like traditional Chinese medicine uh, used to and potentially still does in some places use rhino rhino horns um it's one of those things where it's like i mean it's basically collagen it's like made of hair uh, which collagen is is great for you i have it uh, in my tea every morning <laughs> and but there's you know there's uh better places and much less endangered animals to get collagen from so don't get it from uh, rhinos but yeah don't sorry, get it from rhinos. just on it was just making me think about that i was like i guess that would make sense if someone came in with like unicorn horn medicine and it was oh yeah rhino. well and then actually so speaking of like how did a unicorn become a white horse with a swirly horn we have to talk about narwhal tusks oh my god narwhals are so cute and narwhals are great and shed narwhal tusks regularly wash up on beaches in the northern latitudes of Europe. And to people who have never seen a whale, 
much less a narwhal, but who are probably familiar with deer shedding their antlers, there is only one answer as to why you'd find a single spirally horn on the beach. And that answer is obviously unicorns. And I can only conjecture that seeing this impressive and ostentatious spiraled horn, the people seeing it must have imagined that it came from a truly stately animal. And what animal could be more stately to a medieval European than a great white steed? Mm, you're right. Lots of legendary great white steeds lot in lots of different mythologies in Europe. Um, you know, and I, I, you could, you could just kind of imagine like in the imagination of a medieval European, you see this like spirally, often ocean bleached mm-hmm. narwhal horn, big spirally white horn. And you can imagine this beautiful white horse with this spirally horn. Um, but okay, so we've determined that maybe unicorns are rhinos and uh, sometimes unicorn horns are actually narwhal tusks, but let's get into some of the legendary bits. Uh, So regardless of how you imagine the unicorns look, there are some uh, interesting side notes about unicorns. So for the entirety of the time that there has been stories about unicorns, one fact does go from version to version, story to story. And uh, that is that they are virtually untamable and practically impossible to find in the wild. And only one thing in the entire world soothes their wildness enough to potentially even see one. And that is the purity and goodness of a virgin maiden. I like to think that it's just uh, Virgos. It's it's that's what they mean. It's a they said they virgin maiden. Virgos. They meant Virgos. <laughs> Virgos will bring you a unicorn. Uh, and so there's actually like a prescribed method of hunting a unicorn, wherein said virgin maiden or a Virgo of your choosing uh, is used as bait. Uh, she can then pet the unicorn until it falls asleep in her lap, and then the hunters jump out and do their business, which just sounds gnarly. And I'd hate to be like the virgin maiden who's like, oh, this is like sick. I get to go out in the woods and have a picnic and pet a unicorn. Wait, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, because by that point, you're surrounded by big burly dudes with weapons. And probably covered in unicorn blood. Oh, which, that makes me so sad. I'm like, I'm like really, you know, it's like, it sucks for the unicorn, but like, I feel like it sucks for the, the young virgin maiden who like has to just sit there. Poor baby Virgos. Poor baby Virgos. <laughs> um, and which actually, speaking of Dina's unicorn tapestry, uh, there is a really famous tapestry called The Hunting of the Unicorn. Uh, and it's like, I think it's seven or eight pieces uh, seven or eight individual tapestries that kind of goes through this process of like the maiden luring the unicorn and then they trap it and then they kill it. Um, but why would you hunt a unicorn? Obviously, <laughs> obviously for the horn. So legend has it that unicorn horn or alicorn has miraculous poison absorbing and healing properties. And because of this, it was very popular for kings and unpopular lords of the land to keep some powdered alicorn on hand for poisonings. Uh, But what's even better than that is just using a goblet 
made of unicorn horn in the first place. And there are many such goblets that survive today as artifacts, uh, but which have all unfortunately been confirmed as being made from narwhal tusks. So it's nar it's narwhal tusks all the way. Um, I mean, I know. guess it's better than rhino horns, though, because at least the narwhal tusks like will naturally shed. Yeah, so I, I think so too. You know, it's like it's a little more ethical. Yeah, it's it's okay. like a it's like found object art. Yeah. Um, but also the royal throne of Denmark is made of narwhal tusks uh, that were uh, misidentified as unicorn horns back in the day. Um, and so just for the sake of time, though, I am going to skip all of the biblical allegory bullshit that, uh, I mean, has been done with unicorns. Like, I just really don't care. Um, this is not a Christian program. So sorry if any of you tuned in thought it was, um, <laughs> yeah. I'd suggest you go back and listen to any of the other 62 episodes before this one. Right. But if this is if your first episode of ones and fronds, then I'm very sorry. This is not a Christian program. <laughs> uh, but one interesting thing I did see in my trawling for unicorn facts was a fascinating bit of speculation. Uh, and so here it is. Lots of animals that grow antlers have a strong gender binary in that there are many species of deer and other cattle where the females never grow horns at all, and that actually any especially beautiful or solid white female horse could in fact be an incognito lady unicorn, because otherwise, how would they continue as a species? And I believe uh, with that very important question, what do lady unicorns look like? Are they just really pretty horses? That's it. That's all I have to say. I love that question. As someone who um, is an admitted horse girl from growing up, I definitely loved horses. I think there's horses. a lot of overlap. Yeah, I feel like unicorn, like unicorns are the natural evolution love of like magical horse girls, right? It's, it's like, like horse girls who are into magic become unicorn girls become unicorn girls and Thanks, lisa, lisa frank, frank lisa frank knew lisa frank she knew her knew. business oh my god fucking lisa frank is everything um so today on the like very scottish theme um because i don't it just seemed fun uh i'm talking about heather um i also have like my youngest sister who passed away was named heather and my mom's best friend's name was heather so it's been a name that has been around a lot i have a cousin named heather I've known a lot of Heathers, um, but today we're talking about a plant. <laughs> so Heather or Coluna vulgaris is really like a pretty little flower that has a super interesting history, but I wanted to start by like sorting out a little bit of plant confusion. Um, Willow has the zoomies for anyone that's on Patreon right now. She's being insane. Um, so I want to start though by sorting out a little bit of plant confusion because you'll sometimes see flowers that are referred to as like heath, which understandably can be confused with heather, um, especially since they're from the same part of the world. But there are three main plants that you'll see called like heather. So there's Coluna, which we're talking about today. That's the Scottish version. Um, Debochia or Debochia, which is the Irish and Erica, which is is um, the heath and winter heath. Um, so the biggest thing to remember is that all three of these though have really different attributes and are suited for different growing conditions. So if you find a plant or seeds that are listed just as heather, 
you're going to want to do a little bit more digging because these three different plants are going to need different stuff. So let's talk about the Heather of the day though, shall we? So Heather is considered a very, very lucky flower in Scotland. And this variety is um, very often some shade of purple with white Heather being like the most rare. Um, and there are two really well-known Scottish legends about Heather. So I'm going to tell you both of those. So first one, Legend has it that Viking raiders invaded Scotland and battle ensued against the last Pictish king's army. So the Pictish king and his son are captured and tortured by the Viking chief who is trying to get the secret recipe for Heather ale. Mm -hmm. And the king is like, nah, man, I can hold out against all of this. Like, torture me all you want. You're not getting that ale recipe. But he was a little bit worried that his son was a pussy. So he decides to strike a deal with the Viking chief. And he says that if he kills his son quickly, instead of continuing the torture, he'll give the chief the recipe. So the prince is tossed off the cliff and into the sea where he drowns. But of course, the Pictish king did not hold up his end of the bargain and he was killed, but the Scots eventually won the battle and the Heather ale recipe remained a secret. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> Which like, I know that was definitely the concern here. Um, there are some versions of the legend where the king takes the Viking chief over the edge of the cliff with him. And I think that's a lot more satisfying than him just like dying to protect an ale recipe. But, you know, I mean, I, I mean exactly. It's like, uh, <laughs> It's like, man, I mean, I'm sure it's good, but like, it's a bit much. Um, the second uh, well-known legend, though, takes place in the third century AD. Uh, Malvina was the daughter of a legendary Scottish poet, Ossian, who was engaged to a Celtic warrior named Oscar, which I was just like, Oscar, not a name I traditionally associate with the Celts. Um, so Oscar, tragically, but probably not unexpectedly as a warrior, was killed in battle. And Malvina was heartbroken. But the messenger who delivered her the news of Oscar's untimely death brought with him a bouquet of heather as a token of his condolences. And as her tears fell on the flower, the purple heather blossoms turned white. And from that moment on, Malvina said that even though white heather was a symbol of her grief, it would bring good luck and fortune to anyone who found it. Oh, so, well, that's nice. That's very nice of her. Yeah, like, thanks, Malvina. Uh, so this famous plant is an evergreen shrub in the Ariaceae family, which is where you'll find Andromeda, Rhododendron, and Mountain Laurel. And it has tiny little evergreen leaves that almost look like scales. Like they're literally only about an eighth of an inch long. Like you can kind of see it in here. Like those leaves are tiny. They're those very are not, Those are not very big leaves, no. They're very tiny. Um, and it blooms <clears throat> from July to September. So it's sometimes referred to as summer heather. Nowadays, apparently it can bloom up until November sometimes. Um, the Good height job, global warming. <clears throat> right. Yeah, we get flowers longer. Um, the height really varies a lot by cultivar, but there are some that are short enough to be used as ground cover. And there are some that are like tall enough that you can use them to form sort of like low borders. And again, the flowers range from like mauve to a deep purple with lucky white flowers popping up from time to time. Thanks, Malvina. They grow best in acidic soil that um, it needs to stay moist, but it needs to be well draining. So the natural habitats that these are from are really nutrient poor. So when you're growing Heather, you're really going to want to focus more on getting the watering right than trying to figure out the fertilization. Because again, they, they like to stay moist, but it can't stay too wet or the roots will rot. And this is I, one of those. I, 
I mean, it's just like you really have to think like how misty the Scottish Highlands are. Like it's yeah. not it's not rain all the time. I mean, I'm sure it's plenty of rain, but it's like it's just a lot of like clouds and mist all the time. Yeah. I just imagine Scotland always covered in like gentle mist. Gentle um, mist. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, these are um, really good in zones four to six in the U.S. They can definitely hang, but much further south than that, it's just too hot. Like Nick and I really can't grow it well. They're also not drought tolerant either. So that's something you have to consider if you're in a place like L.A. But if you're in zones four and five, it can handle full sun there. But in zone six, it really needs afternoon shade because this plant just can't get super hot. Again, it's like, think of the Scottish Highlands. Unfortunately, Los Angeles it's not going to sustain. It's 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 not it's, it's not uh it's not a suitable substitute for the Scottish Highlands. It's no. lovely. It's lovely in its yeah. own way. Yeah, we can grow lots of stuff, but heather is probably not on the menu. Um, so you will want to prune the plant in early spring so it doesn't get too leggy, and you can propagate it by cuttings in the springtime as well. I think that's always nice if you've got to do a big prune, then propagate the stuff that you're pruning off, make more plants. So let's talk about herbalism, y'all. Disclaimer. I am not a doctor. This podcast is not intended to serve as medical advice. Please consult your doctor before you start any sort of herbal regimens, before you basically do anything that can alter the constitution of your body. Again, this is for entertainment purposes only. It's not meant to treat or diagnose you guys. You know what's up. Although, I mean, I've got some unicorn horns if you believe I'm a doctor. Oh my gosh. Um, this, this plant though, Heather seems to kind of like fallen out of favor a bit with herbalists because nowadays it's, it's mostly used for like diuretic and antiseptic proper properties. And it's generally recommended as like a treatment for UTIs, um, because it can help the body eliminate excess uric acid, you know, an excess uric acid is one of the things that can cause like kidney stones or really inflame like achy arthritic joints. Um, and in the Highlands, some practitioners actually make a liniment by soaking heather tops in like high proof alcohol and then uh, applying that to arthritic or rheumatic joints to help with like the pain. You can make a tea with it and it's mildly sedative and like anti-anxiety. You just need to add like a couple of teaspoons of the fresh flowers to a cup of boiling water, cover, let it steep for five minutes minimum. Um, but you can also use heather in baths. And so this is the way that I've actually always been familiar with using heather herbally is just like topically, not ingesting it. And it's really, I mean, baths, right? Where can you go wrong? You so really to, can't. You really to, can't. To get the best out of the medicinal properties for these and like for the topical, like skin nourishing, you can really take like a cup or so of this and boil them for a few hours and then strain that liquid directly into your bath. So you're getting like the super concentrated, you're basically pouring like concentrated Heather tea into your bath. And you can do that with lots of plants. The reason I'm specifically suggesting with Heather doing it this way, or if you're going to put it in the bath, put it in a tea bag is because again, look at how small that is. That's going to be all, that's going to be all over your bathtub. That's going to make a mess in your bathtub, but it is really like soothing. And and it's kind of like that cleansing astringent property is really good for people that are, you know, kind of like oily prone skin. Um, so yeah, so it's really great for, for bath, like bath work. Um, in particular, I think you could do bath magic with it, which we'll talk about in a second. So there's really just not much to get into in the herbalism here. Cause again, it like used to be really used 
all the time, but now not so much. She would, she used to be that bitch. She did. I would venture to guess that people in Scotland and areas where this is naturalized and the folks there that practice like folk herbalism, I would venture to guess still use it more than people in other parts of the world. But just in the U.S. and in Western herbalism writ large, it seems to have kind of fallen out of favor a bit. But on to the magic. This is a feminine plant associated with the planet Venus and the water element. And it's also associated with the goddess Isis. So, hey, um, of course, we heard all about Malvina's tale. So this is traditionally used for things like luck magic. It's really common to include like white heather and wedding bouquets. You can also weave a stalk of heather into a charm. I love the idea of making charms or even doing like a pretty little locket and putting a bunch of the flowers in there. Mm-hmm. I feel like that would be really pretty. Um, historically, it's also been used to make um, brooms. So I think that if you can get your hands on enough of it on the stock, I think this is a really great choice for a basum. Um, the the name of it, the Latin name, the kulana, that comes from the Greek, which means like to sweep, because they used to use heather to make brooms. Um, it's also an excellent plant, though, to include in your lytha celebrations. Think about when it blooms right? You're getting that like July to September, um, whether you're using the actual plant or even just the likeness. Like I was thinking this could be a really pretty flower to like paint on a cake. If you were doing some like pretty artsy cakes, tea and little cakes for your Lytha celebration. (laughs) Um, I know Beltane is like the sexy party of the summer, right? But Lytha is the after party on the wheel of the year. So Heather does have like a long association with passion, right? Um, So it's also great for all sorts of love magic. I was thinking like perhaps a little bit of Heather and a rose quartz and a sleep sachet under the pillow of your partner or- Take a drink, everyone. The sleep sachet came out. Um, Because it's associated with water magic, though, again, I think the Heather bath is like more, it's for more than just achy joints, right? Um, They say, actually, if you burn it with fern outdoors, it's supposed to attract rain. But like, since Heather thrives in areas that tend to get more water, um, I don't know how useful that actually is. But Heather in the bath, it can bring you a lot of luck protection, and maybe even help you attract a lover. So I was just thinking it would be great for a bath this time of year. I think when a lot of people are looking at the Gregorian calendar, calendar, you know, sort of switching over, thinking about fresh starts. So in that sense, I also do think it can be a really good um, ally with the new moon when you're thinking about that type of like manifestation, like welcoming in luck, passion, love, that sort of thing. And there's also a uh, a great history of using it to conjure ghosts. So I would also assume that it works extra well if you're trying to, you know, uh, summon the ghost of a dead lover based on his other uses. So the traditional way to use it though, to summon a ghost is to put a sprig of white heather in a glass of water, river water, ideally store-bought is fine and put it in a sacred meditative place in the darkest part of your home. And then you're going to sit there and meditate and think about your deceased loved one. And allegedly their shadow will pay you a visit. So ooh, spooky, ooh, spooky. but sexy. Like, are we going to be making pottery? Maybe. This is, this is how, <laughs> no, this is how you end up fucking a ghost. And yeah. I mean, look, if it happens, I really want to hear about it. Like, I'm genuinely, give me all the grisly details if you are out here fucking a ghost. I want to know. I do. I, do, I also want to know. We want to know. 
I want to hear, th- I want to hear these stories first. Here. Right. So uh, my sources today were northcoastgardening.com, of course, Wikipedia, Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs, scottishatheart.com, spruce.com, incredibleedibletommorden.co.uk, and speakingofwitchwands.net. Speaking of witchwands.net, yeah. I do love that website name. So I think before we go on, um, I did just want to say, like, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm wearing this shirt. Um, it's blue. And I'm wearing it because it's actually like kind of the color of the Scottish flag. Mm, I love it. I love that. And I feel like the best way to support us and also get to see Nick's fabulous outfits. Which you cannot see. Yeah, you gotta join the Patreon. And we made it so easy for you because just like our Instagram is Wands and Fronds Pod at Wands and Fronds Pod. Um, our Gmail is Wands and Fronds Pod at gmail.com. And our Patreon, if you can actually believe this, is patreon.com slash Wands and Fronds Pod. Wands and Fronds Pod. That's all you have to remember to reach us anywhere. So we're doing bonus episodes. We're doing live video recordings. We're doing, um, for depending on the level, Nick will do tarot scopes every week. Nick has also offered, if you screenshot and tag us on Instagram, Nick will do a one card tarot reading for you, I think. Which is a a great deal for the New Year's. Yeah. we can uh, we can do that for you, but we only but but I I know quite a few of y'all are friends with us on Instagram, so you know just like if you got it pulled up on Spotify, do a little get, show us a little love, do screenshot. a little screenshot, Dude, show the show the world that you are a Wands and Fronds fan. Yeah, we love you guys. Um, on that note, if you could leave us a review on iTunes, and also I'm not sure when it's launching, but Spotify is launching podcast ratings this year. So soon you will be able to leave us five stars and a glamorous review on both Apple and Spotify. Um, oh, but, fuck know, yes. You know, listen, listen, rate, review, subscribe, download. Y'all know the drill. So anyway. And hey, you know, if we get enough people on the Patreon, we will not have to put an ad for Casper mattresses here. That's true. I would love to not have to put an ad for Casper mattresses. Casper, want to support? Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But okay. So I think that's I think that's enough asking. I think so. But uh, also, please let us know if you think that lady unicorns have horns or not yeah because i'm leaning no and i think i'm leaning no because i think pretty horses are just lady unicorns so i think um okay so we just gotta dive right in to talk about the kaliak also known in scotland as bira the winter queen um so you all know that here at wands and fronds we love a hag moment And when we decided to do an episode that was loosely themed around the country, Scotland, as a concept, uh, we had to include a crone goddess because when I think of Scotland, I think of Macbeth. And when I think of Macbeth, I think of the hags. So there is no more famous hag in all of Scotland than Bira. And in the Gaelic language family, both Polyak and Bira translate to veiled woman or old woman or hag which really goes along with how she is traditionally depicted 
So what all depictions have in common, just to start with here, is that she has crazy white hair and spooky rust-colored teeth. Um, Rust-colored is, like, very evocative in a bad way. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Are they rust-colored because she's been drinking blood? Um, Or just really strong Earl Grey and she has bad enamel? These are the questions. Um, (laughs) So some tales mention that she is a giantess with blue skin and one eye. And also, like, kind of being known as, like like, a wise woman. Uh, I think with the one eye thing, it could be like a proto-Odin sort of a thing, but like they went with theirs being a lady. Um, We're here for that. So, you know, she's wise. She's got possibly one eye. Um, But sometimes she's just regular old lady size. And sometimes she's not even an old lady at all. But um, actually, so I am going to dig in on that because that's one of the interesting things about her is that Uh, She's the Winter Queen, right? Um, And she's also like the supposedly the mother of all of the the Celtic gods and goddesses uh, as the the Kaliach or uh, Bira. Um, And it's said that she around the time of Imbolc, because the whole the whole rest of the year, she's getting older and older. And then at Imbolc, she goes to a well. The, the well of youth and uh, becomes young and beautiful again. And then the whole process starts back over. Um, but it's, it's said that she has lived multiple lifetimes from this like maiden stage to this hag stage. And each time she, she takes on like a different mortal lover. And that's also how she became the mother of all of the tribes, all of the, mm. all of the Gaelic tribes um so so like each time she takes on a different mortal lover and starts a different tribe that's Uh, cute she's just like hoeing around all over scotland just hoeing around all over she's got hoes in every area code (laughs) it's true um but kind of back to the giantess thing um so some background here is that she is like first and foremost a goddess of the seasons Whereas uh, Brigade rules the spring and summer seasons between Beltane and Samhain, uh, Kaliach uh, rules the autumn and winter months between Samhain and Beltane. Um, so this is also like the perfect time to get into Bira or Kaliach. Um, but back to the whole giant thing. So the legends say that Kaliach made the mountains and valleys what they are by dropping stones from her wicker basket, which made the mountains, uh, which would indicate that the bitch is huge. Yeah. Uh, at least some of the time. I think she's just like a crazy shapeshifter. Uh, but also like normal sized people just do not have room in their wicker baskets for rocks the size of mountains. No, I have not seen a wicker basket large enough for that since 1952 yeah i mean (laughs) we just really we just really don't have that kind of basket technology as mere mortals and so actually i I think the creation aspect is probably the most important part of her story because even though she rules over winter which is usually associated with like death and famine and sort of not so nice things um, she does have these amazing creative powers. She creates the mountains and the valleys, which is a little atypical for like a winter or like a chthonic deity. Uh, well, I mean, you know, 
sometimes it's atypical. I, but sometimes it's like you you get a Persephone. She's it's almost kind of Persephone energy, really. Um, yeah, I could see that with what you're saying. But but there but there are so many place names associated with either Caliach or Bira in Scotland, the Isle of Man, and Ireland, and each has its own like colorful local origin story based around the goddess. So she's very creative. Uh, for instance, I'm sure lots of us are familiar with the Cliffs of Mower in Ireland, which is one of their most famous natural wonders in Ireland. Uh, well, the southernmost point of the Cliffs of Mower uh, is known as Hag's Head. And I am not attempting the Gaelic here because it is just too many consonants. It's like... <laughs> Um, Hag's so head. in Hag's Head. Uh, so in Scotland, there is a huge whirlpool, which is partly named in her honor as well, uh, the Cory Vrecken or the Cauldron of the Plaid. And you're probably thinking to yourself, what does a cauldron or plaid have to do with any of this? Well, since she is the Winter Queen. There has to be a story about how she makes winter happen. Uh, of course, we should also note that she is adept at cooking up storms and blizzards in a cauldron as well, which is very bubble bubble toil and trouble, if you ask me. So the cauldron part makes perfect sense, but what the fuck does plaid have to do with winter? Uh, and I'm going to tell you. So the legend has it that when the time is right to usher in winter, properly, the Kaliach wades out into the sea to clean her truly massive plaid. And through the stain-lifting power of OxyClean, she ends up with a pure white plaid. And so this is kind of where my brain gets stuck. And like I do, I have a medical diagnosis for ADHD. So you're just going to have to go down this rabbit trail with me. But I kind of wonder if it's one of those things, like how black cats are actually all striped, except for like Bombay cats, but they're just black with black stripes. Um, I'm like, what is what is like pure white plaid? Is it like white plaid on a white background? And these are the things that keep me up at night. Um, <laughs> So now that the laundry is done, she lays it out to dry, which is the blanket of pure white snow covering the ground, which is actually not pure white. It is white on white plaid, like a black cat. Okay, but for the Kaliach, the work is truly never ending because apart from being the ultimate landscaper, a first rate storm brewer, and a plaid aficionado. She is also a shepherdess goddess and is responsible for the seasonal migrations of deer and other horned grazers. So think cows, think goats, think sheep. Think so unicorns? Perhaps unicorns. I don't know. <laughs> Do unicorns migrate for the winter? Please leave a comment below. Um, but no, she's really just quite a busy gal. And in fact, the the tiredness, because she's so busy, is attributed to another landscape that she's quite famous for, which is Loch Awe in Scotland. Um, and in this tale, she is so tired from tending her reindeer herd that she makes a pretty big mistake. So she stops at a sacred well to do a little maintenance because she's a very busy goddess. 
But when she finishes, she makes a rookie mistake and leaves the pressure turned up. Uh, this is really part of the story, by the way. Um, while she takes a much needed nap and she accidentally floods the entire valley below, um, which created a fun new luck for everyone. So I don't see what all the hubbub is about. Like you could go water skiing, you could go fishing. Um, like it really seems like... Yeah. Like they enjoy it as part of the natural scenery now, um, but it was apparently very catastrophic for the people who lived in the valley at the time. So. Uh, well, you know, what are you going to do? She's a busy bitch. She's a busy lady and she's got a lot going on. And, you know, like maybe you should just like get over it and buy a boat and maybe like learn to water ski. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Um, but it's not, it's not all natural features that are like associated with Bira or Kaliach. Uh, I'd also like to share about a very cool local custom out of Perthshire in Scotland that also possibly represents one of the oldest unbroken pagan traditions in the United Kingdom. So I'm actually very excited to just have stumbled upon this uh, in, in my research. So in the area of Glen Lyon, there is a, a glen, I believe it is a side glen, because I think a glen is just a valley, but that's neither here nor there. There is a, there's a, in the Glen Lion, there is a glen called Kaliaki, right? Are you hearing the similarity? Sounds very similar. And in this glen, there is an ancient tumble-down stone hut. And the legend says that Kaliach and her whole family, and this isn't a family show, so I won't be going into detail on that here. Also, it's not important, but her and her whole family had to spend some time in the Glen, and the local people offered them the stone hut. You know, it's sort of like the manger from the nativity story. Like, they just had an extra, like, little stone hut. So if someone came to town, they'd be like, yeah, go stay Go stay in the little stone hut. Um, and so while they were there, the land was extra prosperous, extra fertile, like very productive with the crops. And the people, of course, wanted the good times to keep on rolling. But goddesses tend to do whatever the fuck they want to, as is their right. So obviously she wasn't going to stay there forever, but she was grateful to the people for giving the most of what little they had in hospitality. So she left behind a family of stones that are kind of shaped like people and told them that if they take care of the stones the way you, that they've taken care of her, that the glen will always stay fertile and productive. And so the locals to this very day move the stones inside of the hut when it gets cold and then take them back out when spring comes, um, which I just, I think that's lovely. I love that. And, you know, it's like, it's a, it's like a little bit of living history, you know, it's not some like passage tomb or like a piece of broken pottery, like it's actual people that are like engaging with this really ancient thing. And I just, I think that's so much cooler than like, just some, you know, speculative. Yeah, no, I thing. love Some that. kind of academic thing. It's like, you know, it's like actual, actual local people that are keeping up with this, with this old tradition. Um, and so actually taking care of the Kaliach and offering hospitality are somewhat of a theme 
in her stories and lore. Um, and so speaking of sort of like old Scottish traditions based around this deity, uh, there's an old Scottish farming tradition that is centered on the, the idea of offering hospitality to the Kaliak. And the way that it works is that the first farmer to bring in his entire crop of corn uses the sheaves from the very last plant harvested to make a corn dolly, which we all know what that is. But this particular one is now the this year's Vera, the Winter Queen, stand in. Um, so you get her to one of your neighbors who isn't finished harvesting. And when they're done, they give it to one of their neighbors that isn't finished harvesting. It's sort of like a like a game of hot potato. And whoever the last person to get the doll, and presumably like the last farmer to finish their harvest is now responsible for feeding and taking care of the bira all winter long. Uh, and unlike some similar traditions, you you actually you do not get like a prize or like a special blessing. Uh, it's it's hospitality for hospitality's sake, which is a virtue in this Gaelic culture. Uh, and so this tradition, I think, really drives that point home. Like you don't you don't get a prize for for offering hospitality like it's just be something that you do yeah you're not doing it for moral dessert you're doing it because it's the right thing to do you're doing it because it's the right thing to do and so i i which i think is cool you know it's like and it's like yeah because that's to me that feels morally correct it feels uh, like you're actually doing a good thing and not just trying to buy something Right. Uh, and so speaking of her role in the changing of the seasons, I would be remiss if I left out a, a last sort of fun fact about the Kaliak. Um, she invented Groundhog Day, kind of. Um, Bill Murray so thanks Kaliak. Bill Murray owes his career to the Bira. Um, so the story goes that the Kaliak, that if the Kaliak wants a long winter, she has to set aside a day to gather firewood. And since she is a goddess and she can make sure the day is nice so she doesn't catch a cold, this, you know, sort of the legend has it that if the weather is nice on February 1st, then you know that Kaliak will be around until Beltane. Uh, and you should probably gather some firewood for yourself too. But if it's like cold and stormy on February 1st, then the Kaliach is asleep. She's a very busy lady, okay? And hopefully she will not stick around for too much longer after Imbolc. So. Nice. If you're interested in working with the Bira or the Kaliach, uh, two names for the same goddess. Uh, I feel like there's a few good options for you out there. And I, first of all, I think like anything white uh, is like, like frosty or snowy. Um, I feel like bonus points if it's actually white on white plaid. Like if you, if you have white on white plaid, uh, obviously that, um, <laughs> but no, I think anything frosty or snowy, um, I think doing an episode about Vera the Winter Queen came up when we were doing research for Jack Frost, because they say that like Vera is sort of analogous to Jack Frost in some of her legends, uh, especially like the way she can conjure up storms and like the way her her staff um, 
her staff works, which I'm getting to in a second. Uh, so like deer, Frisian cows, and other like wintry herding animals, um, and staffs. So the Kaliak does have a staff that freezes the ground, which which kind of factors into her relationship to Jack Frost. And also like what crone does not look cool without a sweet staff, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, like it's it's the must-have accessory besides like a cloak for for any good crone archetype. Um, I also feel like, yeah, it's like a good time to dig out your white altar supplies. So like white candles, white candle holders, um, pearl, moonstone, uh, like even like if you have like a really nice piece of like frosty quartz, mm. like frosty white quartz, I feel like would be lovely. Like really anything wintry, holly even, you know, it's like holly is not just for Yule. It's like, yeah. it's all winter long. I know. It's um, like winter doesn't end after Yule. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like if you have any like sun bleached antlers i feel like that's like a double dose of kaliak energy because it's got that lovely snowy color and also she it's like horned grazing animals like specifically horned animals that are also grazers like that's her jam so like i feel like like a white deer antler would be like love that um, and yeah, like a, a white altar cloth. I always see like white and gold altar cloths and I never actually see witches using white and gold altar cloths, which I'm like, this would be. Yeah, this is the time. I feel like for me, I, I think the reason I would not really pick them most because of the time of is because it's practical. Yeah, it's yeah. staining. But I think if you're going to want to go and work with someone like Vera or the Kaliak, it's like. The wit- Pull it out. Get your fucking OxyClean. Bitch knows about laundry. She can help. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, she could be a great ally for you in cleaning your white altar cloth. Oh um, but no, I do. I do love Vera as like the like we love Brigid. We love Beltane. Obviously, I'm like a spring baby. So like it is kind of weird to think about these sort of like chthonic deities, like these winter side, the winter side of the wheel of the year. Just, just like really don't kind of hit that spot for me but I really feel like the Bira like I don't know because she's she's also got this kind of like Artemis energy where she's like a shepherdess and she's like wild and lives in the woods and is just and she fights Brigid to make winter longer which yeah yeah we love a we love a good fight says the Aries But but no. uh, Also, you know, it's like if if you're Scottish and you hate me because I've butchered these pronunciations, um, you can blame YouTube. Yeah, you can also like give us a jingle jangle. Yeah, you could totally just like correct me and like forcefully. Don't be a dick about it. Or or do or do you know actually because (laughs) because I feel like. How do I say, like, I se- I definitely sexually objectify Scottish men. Yeah, I mean, Outlander exists for a reason. I, I you know, it's like, like a young Sean Connery, like... I share a birthday with Sean Connery. Which is a fantastic fun fact. Yeah, um, Sam Hewen. I'll, I'll can get it all day, every day. 
Um, I love knowing that Tom Ellis, James McAvoy, and Sam Hewen were all at like theater school at the same time. Uh, that's hot. Isn't it? I'm like, what if they, what if they were like in the same dorm and they like, you know, like, well, they like knew each other, you know, it's like they took showers at the same time together, together, playfully slapped (laughs) each other with towels. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, yeah, I'm, I, I'm distracted. <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm, that's spicy. Sorry. Spicy, spicy. I've been watching a lot of British stuff. I like, um, I took a pause in my rewatch of Downton Abbey before Matthew Good pops in to go watch A Discovery of Witches, which a lot of it takes place in Oxford. Um, so, you know, but UK well, gentleman on the mind. Anyway. But we, we do have to talk about the sexiest Scottish person to ever exist. Maggie Smith, Dame Maggie Smith. Oh my God, Dame Maggie Smith, all day, every day, queen of my heart. I adore her. Um, <laughs> so on that note, I did the Terrascope this week. We're getting close to the end, and I have a message. Speaking of catonic, <laughs> for our Scorpios. So <laughs> I have drawn the Hermit for you, and I actually got really excited because I love the Hermit card. So Hermit is the Hermit card is associated with Virgo which I think isn't super surprising, but Virgo and Scorpio also make like a super formidable duo. Like most of my close female friends are Scorpios. And I think that like Scorpio Virgo dynamic can be really helpful because the analytical side of the Virgo, I think kind of grounds some of the spiritual intensity of the Scorpio. And so that's kind of the vibe I'm getting with pulling this card for them. Um, So this card does serve as a reminder that like rest and solitude can be great medicine. And the hermit really teaches us that we contain almost all of the wisdom that we need within. And you don't necessarily have to look outside constantly for the answers. So I, I like seeing this card coming out of the holiday season, which I know can be taxing for a lot of reasons. Um, so my dear little scorpions, to me, this is saying that instead of starting the year with a bang, maybe start it by curling up with a good book or taking a bath and doing some soul searching. You have the answers within my watery friends. And, you know, it's still winter. Lean into it still being winter. Just because it's January 1 of the Gregorian year doesn't mean we're out of winter. Like continue to enjoy your solitude if that's where you've been. If you're exhausted from the holidays, tap into it. There's some goodies in store for you. I love that for them. I feel like that's such a good like first tarot scope of the year. Yeah. And I do love that. Although I think technically speaking, no, the other, the episode came out on Wednesday, which was like the 29th, right? Yeah. This will be the first one of the year. This is the first episode of the year. And I do have for our Patreon listeners, um, I actually have, it's like a little beat up, but I have the Hermit sticker on the back of my phone. Oh, very cool. So I, I genuinely do love the Hermit card. So I guess... Before we go, a last reminder, this is the last episode where I'll plug this. I am offering next weekend my workshop, Your 2022 Witches Garden. It's only $30. We're going to go through the entire calendar year looking at a few big highlights. It'll probably be about an hour and a half, and then we'll have half an hour at the end for us to like do Q&A. It's going to be kind of a small group, so there's a lot of chance for one-on-one. And if you are a member of our Patreon and you sign up, you get a free 30-minute solo follow-up with me afterwards where I can like help you do some sort of like really specific workshopping for your space. So you can find info on that at marygoldenmallow.com. There'll also be a link in the show description here. Um, 
But yeah, I think that's all. Well, I guess, what do we say to all of you Michelle Gomez-loving Scottish bitches? Oh, to all of you Michelle Gomez, Maggie Smith, Sam Hewen, Sean Connery-loving Scottish bitches, we say blessed be, bitches. Blessed be, bitches. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye now. I was like rainbows. Ooh.